happy day, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time or for the first time in a while, the focus of my podcast is information that I share on my website blog. My blog is a solution and success-oriented discussion of topics that are the foundation of all of my professional photography work, and that is wildlife rehabilitation and protection, land conservation, faith and environmental stewardship, in great places or opportunities to photograph wildlife and nature. You'll find my blog from your favorite web browser by navigating to my website, www.copperrangellc.com. From there, you just click blog, which appears along the top of the landing page for my website. And if you access my site on a mobile device, click the three-line menu icon, which is usually in the upper right. Also on my website, copperrangellc.com, you can view all my images, you can learn about me, and you can keep up with my art show schedule. At my art shows, you'll find my work for purchase. It's a great way to shop my photography in person and meet me. You can also shop safely and easily online. Just click the buy icon on any photo and you'll be on your way to a really easy and safe shopping experience and join the ranks of my collectors. And if you're not looking to buy yet, I really hope you'll still stop by my website. You'll find great free content and stunning photography. So today's podcast is titled get to know a naturalist and discover all kinds of nature. So some of you know, I've lived in Washington, D.C. for 30 years, but I'm from Sandusky, Ohio, and I know a lot about that area. Sandusky is located along the Lake Erie coast in Erie County, Ohio, making it home to many migrating birds in the spring and in the fall. When I was living in Sandusky as a younger person, I never knew this about um, the great birding that was available in this area, but I do know now. So this great birding for me means great bird photography. You know, and in fact, there's a few areas in Sandusky, Ohio, that are considered by the experts as birding hotspots. So before a recent trip to the area, uh, I was researching birding areas in Erie County and the surrounding locations. And my research unexpectedly brought me across Martin Drabick Hampshire, who has the position of a naturalist for Erie Metro Parks. I like to say Martin arrived in Ohio via England and South Africa. He was born and raised in England and studied in both the UK and South Africa. And Martin will tell us shortly about what brought him to Ohio. Not all of us know what a naturalist is, so in a few words, naturalists observe nature and communicate the importance of our natural resources using various programs and activities. So Martin does his work with the Erie Metro Parks, which encompass 12 public parks, 30 miles of trails, and more than 300 free public programs each year. I'm really excited to have Martin on the podcast today and to hear about his experience and insights on all kinds of nature. Welcome, Martin. So you were born and raised in England. You studied in both the UK and South Africa, and now you work in Sandusky, Ohio, which is known to a lot of people as a, as a mid-sized city that sits on Lake Erie and is home of Cedar Point, an amusement park in operation for over 150 years, that features a world record 71 rides and world setting roller coasters. So Martin, um, start us out by unraveling 
the interesting story of your worldwide study and travel and what brought you to Northern Ohio. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Southern England, actually near Southampton. Um, and that is actually where I obtained my bachelor's degree. I went to the University of Southampton and got a degree in zoology. Um, I worked as an ecologist a bit around Hampshire in the in the UK. And then a few years later, I moved to South Africa, where I um, aimed to obtain my master's degree. Um, it was in South Africa that I um, studied leopard tortoises. I was looking at home range and movement patterns of leopard tortoises. They're a really cool species. Um, but more importantly, it was where I met my wife, who is originally from Pittsburgh, but we were both studying under the same professor at the same university. Um, me studying tortoises and my wife studying um, cape vultures. Once my wife got a PhD, she moved back to the US and was offered a postdoctoral position in Sandusky, Ohio. Um, and once I'd finished my master's, we started the long process of visas and immigration and all that jazz. Um, so I finally moved here and obtained my work permit. Um, it was not an easy process. It definitely wasn't a quick process, but I finally moved here in um, 2018 and I was able to um, get a, a few jobs. I did some substitute teaching. I worked for the Lake Erie Islands Nature and Wildlife Center on South Bass Island, where I was a manager for a bit. Um, and then last year, I was able to um, be offered the naturalist, a naturalist position at Erie Metro Parks. So I guess fate and love brought you to Sandusky, Ohio, which are two great things. So I have never seen leopard tortoises in the wild. And of course, because they're not in any areas that I've been to, they're uh, native to South Africa, Ethiopia, and Somalia. So you'd have to go pretty far from here to see them, but they are really interesting, uh, really interesting species. Adults can get up to um, 12 to 28 inches long. They're a big tortoise. They can weigh up to 33 to 118 pounds. And the life expectancy is 80 to 100 years. So these, that is a very interesting species to study. So Martin, what's a day in the life of an Erie Metro Parks naturalist like? Well, in truth, every day is different. I know that's some, something probably a lot of people say about a lot of positions, but it really is true um, in our position as naturalists. Um, like for example, in my first few weeks as a naturalist for Erie Metro Parks, I helped rescue a skunk. I assisted with kayaking programs, bird watching programs. I started an iNaturalist project. I look after animals, um, our education animals every day. There's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And um, obviously that's um, just a small part. Um, the, um, the typical day-to-day -day routine involves um, planning future programming up to six months in advance. For example, we just outlined our nature camp programs for the summer, which I'm looking forward to. Um, but occasionally we just head out um, during the workday and do some bird watching or go look for salamanders or you know whatever it may be, depending on the time of the year. Like, for example, just last week, all four of us naturalists at Erie Metro Parks um, went out to find a northern sawwood owl, which we were successful in finding. And that was actually a lifer for three of the four of us, um, which was really cool, like really, really cool. 
Finding a saw wet owl is very cool. That's a very highly nocturnal species, and they're actually very seldom seen. They're very small. And I did see, Martin, your your um, post on iNaturalist about that sawwet owl, so that is very cool indeed. So on the subject of cool and surprising things, tell us about the most surprising thing or things that you've learned during your explorations or work in Erie County, Ohio. Well, as I said, I've been here for about three and a half years now and have explored a decent amount of Erie County and the surrounding area. Um, I mentioned working on the Lake Erie Islands for the the nature center there. Um, Well, firstly, I had no idea that Lake Erie even had islands, and I'm sure even a lot of people in Ohio or um, in the the Midwest or even the East have no idea that Lake Erie has islands. So that was cool enough. And I learned that even these relatively small islands have cave systems, which, again, phenomenal. Not only that, but at least one of these caves is home to an endemic isopod species that is found nowhere else on Earth which just exemplifies how important some of these local environments can be to specific species. Um, I've also spent a lot of time on Kelly's Island, which is an Erie County island, but still part of the same group of Lake Erie Islands. And that is world famous for its um, glacial grooves. If you haven't been and you're in the area, I highly recommend you go and see these glacial grooves they show that the region had glaciers up to a mile thick at one point, and you can see um, the impressions that the rocks made um, in the ground over um, thousands and thousands of years. So cool. Your perspective on the islands in Lake Erie and the cave systems and what is seen in the cave systems is really a great fresh perspective, Martin, because you know for folks who live in that area, that that's very common and very day-to-day and very normal. So what you've discovered there, um, using your skills and talents and knowledge that you have, is a nice, fresh perspective on the importance of uh, the islands and what the islands have to offer. Yeah, and on the glacial grooves that you mentioned on Kelly's Island. So Lake Erie was carved out by glacier ice, and those glacial grooves are 400 feet long, 30 feet wide, and up to 15 feet deep. And they were created by the slow movement of the massive glacier that created the Great Lakes and the Lake Erie Islands. Um, So the glacial grooves on Kelly's Island are actually a national natural landmark. That's one of the biggest that brings visitors from all over to Kelly's Island. So um, they have actually some of the grooves contain marine fossils that are 350 to 400 million years old. So it is quite a sight to see and um, appreciate your perspective on how important uh, some of those sites are in Lake Erie and in the Lake Erie Islands. So as you have certainly learned, we Americans love our bald eagle. Um, On a recent episode of the Erie Metro Parks podcast, Off Trail, you noted that there were 46 bald eagle nests in Erie County as of the last census. So how do you go about conducting a census of bald eagle nests? Well, yeah, the... um the Ohio Department of Natural Resources has been conducting um, bald eagle censuses for, for many years now, collecting local data in Ohio. Um, and anyone can actually submit that data to their website, whether you're a naturalist or just a, a you know member of the public. You can go on their website, submit a report about a bald eagle nest or you know a sighting of some sort that you have, you have seen. Um, for us at Erie Metro Parks, we're lucky that we have a few nests on our land. 
Um, and we have some data about other nests in the county as well. So we are um, we are trying to to go through uh, to go around the county, find as many nests as we can, and we have found a few nests in the last two years that are new that weren't um, in the census previously. And we want to identify whether those nests are active based on the presence of adults and obviously a successful fledging, that would be ideal. Um, and then report that data to ODNR, to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. As I said, some of those nests are on our land, but that isn't the case for all of them. Some of them are, um, you can view them you know, while being parked in a safe area. Some are on private land, so you can't really do that. And then some are just off like the highway. So you kind of have to get a good view as a passenger while someone else is driving uh, as you drive past that nest. But regardless, all confirmed nests, whether active, inactive, or even unconfirmed, are submitted via ODNR, which is pretty cool. That is cool. So for folks who are interested, I have a link in my in the blog associated with this podcast to Ohio Department of Natural Resources, particularly on their their eagle surveying and eagle nests um, inventory, if you will. And actually, if you click on, uh, when you get to that website, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, um, they have a, a map of the, um, an eagle nest map, which shows the number of eagle nests by county. And I think this was as of 2020. So interestingly enough, the most, the, the, the top three counties in terms of the highest number of bald eagle nests are Erie, Sandusky and Ottawa, all located along the Lake Erie coast. So that's really kind of cool to take a look at. Um, so Martin, the last time, speaking of eagles, the last time I was in the Sandusky area, which was in fall of 2021, I made a trip up to Maumee Bay State Park, which is actually a state park managed by the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. And that park is about an hour by car along the Lake Erie Bay shore from my location where I was. And on that drive, which was about 60 miles, I saw 14 adult bald eagles, you know, from the road. I was, you know, I was just really shocked and never remember seeing anything like that in the area before. You know, so what do you think contributes to that region being apparently, you know, good habitat for bald eagles? Well, there are a few reasons that contribute to the increase in bald eagles. Firstly, you have to look back at why they were even considered endangered in the first place. Aside from like persecution and loss of, you know, potential habitats or food resources, the big killer in many senses was DDT, which was an insecticide used in the 40s and 50s, um, which caused bioaccumulation. So the pesticide or insecticide was, you know, sprayed onto areas where there were insects that were causing damage to crops or whatever it might be. These insects were then eaten by fish or other animals um, who weren't as affected, but then bioaccumulation means that all of these chemicals accumulate up the food chain. So once you get to the top of the food chain, for example, when you get to a bald eagle, that then that DDT or rather um, some chemicals related to DDT cause major issues. So DDT actually caused egg thinning in bald eagles and a few other um, large species like herons, ospreys, etc. Um, which meant that when these birds were trying to incubate their eggs, the eggs just cracked essentially, which caused massive declines in you know, success rate of nests. 
So, yeah, that happened for a few decades. Eventually, scientists figured out that that was what was causing the declines. So they banned DDT as a as an insecticide in the area, or I think across the country and maybe even internationally too. So once they were banned, that has allowed um, different bird populations to to bounce back. The good thing about Erie County and the surrounding areas is it's a perfect location for bald eagles. We have loads of really, really good trees that are, you know, they're large enough that they can hold these huge nests. And some of the bald eagle nests are really, really huge. But and not only that, there's this endless supply of food, be that fish or waterfowl, be it carcasses of deer or muskrat. There's so much around. So given the two things together, the nesting locations and food sources, it's just a perfect location for bald eagles. And in fact, in, in the winter, this time of year when we're recording, it's not uncommon to see multiple eagles all from the same location, especially when Lake Erie freezes, because Lake Erie is the shallowest of the Great Lakes, so it's most prone to freezing. And any other you know, water sources around, like the rivers and other ponds and lakes, also will freeze. So these eagles, which um, primarily try and feed on fish and ducks, will have to find these locations where the lake or other sources of water have not been frozen. So they will accumulate into um, you know, multiple like groups of bald eagles. In fact, today I was at a location nearby and there were 18 eagles all sat out on the ice or flying around near one another because there was this open part of the water where loads of ducks and presumably fish, were um, able to be found. That sounds like a place I'd love to be with my camera. Martin, um, ecologists often study and explain how human actions affect other living things and their environment. What kinds of activities uh, that you've been involved in with Erie Metro Parks uh, do you think fit that description? Yeah, you're right. Um, It's important that we do try and explain to people how human actions can affect other living things and the environment. As naturalists, whenever we are on a program um, with a group, be it children, teenagers, adults, whatever, we of course always look for an opportunity to talk about those human actions, um, but it's not always appropriate. So we always try and find those appropriate moments. We don't want to you know, make too much of a tangent and make the program a bit of a downer if it's unnecessary but there are some programs that i've done recently that have allowed that um an example of that could be that i led a kids program last year where kids were able to decorate and put together their own little bug hotels so this allowed me to talk about the decline of various insects particularly bees and how these bug hotels could be used by them So those kids were able to identify several different species of insects that might be able to use these bug hotels. And then I encouraged those kids to take their bug hotels home and hang them up in their backyard. So hopefully those kids have seen each of those hotels in good use. Bug hotels are great projects and very educational. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that I would never have visited Pipe Creek Wildlife Area in Sandusky, which is, again, an area that's managed by Ohio Department of Natural Resources. But I don't think I would have gone there had I not seen some of your posts about birds and other wildlife in that area. And I'm referring to posts that you put on iNaturalist. And for folks, I have a, um, 
a link in my blog to Martin's iNaturalist account so you can see what he posts. So anyway, so while I'm familiar with that part of Sandusky where Pipe Creek is located, I was never familiar with this area as a birding and wildlife area. You know, northern Ohio is really a, a top birding destination. And Martin, you know, what are some of the other best places to see nature and wildlife in Erie County and the surrounding areas? Well, Pipe Creek is definitely one of my favorite locations in the area. That was actually the location I was at this morning where I saw 18 bald eagles all sat out on the ice. Really cool. Well, one of the reasons it's um, one of my top locations is basically because I live like right next to there. I've ridden my bike there before. It's like a five minute, maybe 10 minute bike ride. It's so close, but it really is one of the best spots for wildlife, particularly migrating, migrating songbirds, waterfowl, but also for eagles and great horned owls. Even a couple years ago, we had 38 American white pelicans hang around for a couple weeks, which was amazing. I'm not a photographer, but I did have my cell phone on me the first time I saw them. Um, and I got a, a really cool photo with my phone of a few pelicans flying through the sunset, which was just an amazing experience. And it's not a great photo, but I think it, it's good enough considering that it's from a cell phone. Um, regarding other areas for nature and wildlife, I, of course, have to first mention a few of the Erie Metro Park locations. Castalia Quarry Metro Park, the Community Foundation Preserve at Eagle Point, Joseph Stein and Wildlife Area, Osborne Metro Park, Wyandotte Metro Park, and Edison Woods Metro Park. These are all like top tier birding locations. They have a variety of different habitats. They have forests, grasslands, prairies, wetlands, open water. And this allows for a variety of different wildlife sightings, whether you're looking for insects, birds, um, mammals, you know, you name it. You'll, you'll find these um these wildlife in our parks, which is great. And that's great for us too, because it means we have these amazing locations at our disposal when we're planning our programs, which is excellent. But there are, of course, many other locations nearby, and I'll name a few of them. For example, Sheldon Marsh State Nature Preserve is a a very well-known one. That's one that's probably visited more than most in the area. But we also have places like the Castalia Duck Pond, this little blue pond in the middle of Castalia that never freezes. So that's always covered in, um, you know, lots and lots of ducks. There's also Old Woman Creek State Nature Preserve which is um, one of just two freshwater estuaries in the United States. Beyond Erie County, I also enjoy going to East Harbor State Park, Pickerel Creek State Wildlife Area, McGee Marsh State Wildlife Area, Ottawa National Wildlife Refuge, and Howard Marsh Metro Park. Each of these are just phenomenal locations um, most of the year. But particularly, most birders will visit these locations in the spring because you will find that this area is just world-renowned for its migration. And the reason for that is that where we are in north, northwest Ohio, there's a multiple migration routes that um, kind of intersect with one another. So as these uh, migrating songbirds and waterfowl and shorebirds are going north for the spring to, to find their breeding locations, they hit the lake lake erie and then they head kind of like they're funneled west towards um a different uh migration path a migration flyway so north and northwest ohio are just covered with these songbirds shorebirds waterfowl there's so many and in fact um odnr have 
um, made a Lake Erie birding trail, which is a comprehensive list of 88 birding hotspots around Lake Erie. And that goes from like Cleveland all the way to Toledo. And you will find many of these locations that I just mentioned in that birding trail for good reason. If you want to find um, a few more locations, eBird is also an excellent resource too. There's so many hotspots on there that are frequently visited by local and visiting birders that aren't on that birding hotspot, um, on that, um, sorry, that aren't on the Lake Erie birding trail. And I'm sure most people, or a lot of people, especially birders, would have heard about the biggest week in American birding. So that is a, a huge birding festival that's held every May um, for the past several years. And it's held in this region for exactly the reason that I was just mentioning. So my wife and I, we live in Sandusky. We have experienced black-throated green warblers, Blackburnian warblers, Nashville warblers, all visible from our kitchen window while we're doing the dishes, which is a distraction, but a nice distraction. And actually in 2020, we even had a cerulean warbler just land in our yard. Actually, both my wife and I were working from home at the time, as were a lot of people, and we were on separate work calls. But yeah, the cerulean warbler just landed in our yard and I saw it first and um, my wife was in the other room. So I texted her and I said, hey, cerulean warbler in the yard. Um, So I was able to rush outside and get a better look once my call was finished. But then she was on her call for another like 30 minutes or so. But she was able to come out and see it too, um, which was amazing. And we did get a, a decent look and good photos of it. And it was a lifer for both of us. And like, this is a cerulean warbler. Like, Many Ohioans might never ever see one. So we're very lucky. And conveniently, like an osprey flew over our house at the same time. So I got a photo of that at the same, within the same like five minutes that I saw a cerulean warbler. And this is like downtown Sandusky. We're just really lucky to be here. Um, The unfortunate thing is that we've since moved house. We're still in Sandusky. We're still close to the downtown area, but no, we no longer have cerulean warbler or an osprey on our yard list. <laughs> These are amazing and terrific resources that you shared about good places to bird and see other wildlife. I've been to a lot of these. I wasn't actually aware of how significant some of our birding areas are in northern Ohio until I really took up photography seriously. So I'm not sure everybody does know about it. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Martin. And if I happened to see a cerulean warbler in my backyard, I think I would drop everything and focus on that for a while. But um, I understand when you're working at home, that's not always possible. But uh, very cool. And thank you for those, uh, those great resources. So just to kind of switch gears for a little bit, I was curious, Martin, if you have ever encountered any issues with wildlife crime, you know, poaching, etc., or was that ever discussed in your studies or in your job? You know, given some of the places that you've lived and, and traveled to. Well, honestly, no. It's it's not something I've had to deal with too much in my current position or even my previous roles. But it, obviously, it's, it's definitely something that I learned a lot about during my undergraduate degree and especially my time in South Africa. Um, poaching of rhinos in South Africa was definitely an eye-opener. I knew it was bad, and I think that's something that is advertised across the world in, like, news reports. But, like, the numbers were scary. I was there from, like, 2014 through to 2017, um, and the numbers peaked in 2015. So it it just looked like it was going to keep going up. Um, I just got some numbers, actually. In the last decade, nearly 10,000 rhinos have been poached, with the vast majority of them being in South Africa. 
it's it's really scary. And fortunately, those numbers are on the decline um, in the last three or four years. But it's still it's too high, and it, it something needs to happen to really put an end to it. But fortunately, I was never witness to it. Um, but I did visit this private game reserve a few times, which was near where I lived, and that had um, it had three of its own white rhinos. And this private game reserve, private game reserve, quite literally hired its own security team to monitor the rhinos at all times. And I think that's because they'd had incidents in the past where people had come onto their land and had poached one of their rhinos, which is just incredibly sad. But fortunately, we don't really have too much um, poaching of that kind in this country. Of course, you do get a lot of people that um, you know, don't follow the rules in terms of like fishing or you know, um, hunting. So I would just encourage people to, to make sure that they know what the rules are. And if they don't know what the rules are, then to ask the appropriate people. Outside of the very tragic and very sad occurrences of rhino poaching, I'm glad to hear that you haven't had a lot of direct experience with that or or, or been witness to that. Um, and you do mention about, you know, sometimes uh, folks don't know or understand, you know, fishing or hunting regulations, and they unintentionally maybe commit a wildlife crime. Um, and it is important to ask, and it is important to be informed about that. And I do want to mention that uh, I have I have a link on the blog post associated with this podcast to a site from Ohio Department of Natural Resources where um, you can report a wildlife crime or a wildlife violation, including poaching. And also on the Ohio Department of Natural Resources website, they post all of their fishing regulations and other hunting regulations. So it's easy to get to and easy to access and easy to read, assuming you you have an internet connection. And um, they also, um, Ohio DNR is also on Facebook and Instagram. So and YouTube, and I think Twitter. Um, so there's lots of ways you can find out what the state regulations are, local regulations are regarding uh, wildlife, uh, you know, hunting or fishing. So Martin, um, for our very last question for today, and it's been such a pleasure talking with you today, do you have a favorite species? Hmm, a favorite species. Well, that is a bit tricky, I'll be honest. I have a, an amazing passion for turtles and tortoises. That's something I've had ever since I was a child. Like My earliest memories of you know, being a child, I was a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as were a lot of kids. But also my, my dad grew up with tortoises. So um, when he was old enough to have kids, he got a pet tortoise too. So I grew up with a couple of tortoises around the house, which then turned into like five and then 10. <laughs> so we did have a lot of tortoises growing up and um, that definitely instilled my passion. And obviously I just mentioned before that I, I studied the leopard tortoise in South Africa. That's what I did my master's degree on and I even managed to get two research papers published on the leopard tortoise, which is pretty cool. In terms of um, what can be found here in Ohio, I have to say the, the Blandings turtle is probably my favorite. Um, I've seen that on several occasions. There's something about them that just makes them stand out. They, they, you know, their bright yellow throat. It's just so vivid. And you just don't see many of those bright colors in turtles. Um, and we're very lucky that we have a lot of them in Erie County and uh, along the lake. Although, again, their numbers are also on the decline. Outside of turtles, um, I'm a huge birder. 
And that wasn't always the case. I, I became a birder when I met my wife in South Africa and she would always you know, want to go on hikes, which I was always game for. I've always been a nature person. I just never really been a bird person. So we would go on hikes and she would teach me about the birds of South Africa, which firstly, an amazing place to learn how to be a birder, South Africa. I would highly recommend it to anyone. And um, then I just forced myself to to learn about the birds. It was like I was studying for my own hobby, which I think most birders do anyway. But I was like cramming it in because I wanted to try and get to, to a level that I could go on a birding hike with my wife, you know, girlfriend at the time, and I wouldn't embarrass myself. Um, and of course, it didn't take me long to create an eBird account, which helped me keep keep count of the species that I'd seen. And now that I've lived in three countries, the UK, South Africa, and the US, I've been able to get to over 800 species fairly quickly, which um, is surprising, but also not surprising, given that you know each of these locations are on a different continent. Um, I am catching up with my wife, but she's still like 14 or 15 species ahead of me, and I, I don't think she would actually let me catch up. So yeah, um, my favorite bird. Well, again, I, I acquired my love of vultures from my wife. She studied Cape vultures, and if you listen to the Off Trails episode that she guested on a few weeks back, you will have heard that we have this joint ambition to try and see every vulture species in the world, and we're doing good. I think we're we're just in double figures now. Um, but there's a lot in like South America and Asia that we haven't had the opportunity to see. But we'll, we'll get there. Um, but I will say, despite my love of vultures, I will probably offend my wife if I say that my favorite raptor is probably the osprey. That's just, again, something about them. They look unique. They're such successful hunters. They can be found on multiple continents. And we have them nesting here in Ohio. We, my wife and I, we found one... Um, a nest last year with a couple of chicks in, which is just amazing. Like, I had no idea that they could be found. And then we just stumbled ac- across this one while we were doing a birding tour somewhere. Um, anyway, I would love to get more ospreys nesting in the area. I mean, it's worked for the eagles, so why can't it work for the ospreys? Favorite species question is always a tough one. But that was really an interesting answer, um, Martin. I was observing how you know, your dad helped you with your love of turtles or was certainly probably behind your love of tortoises and turtles and your wife is certainly behind your love of birds. So I think that's very revealing and telling about how the influence of others has on our appreciation and our our love and our discovery uh, of nature. And I did listen to the episode of the Off Trail podcast where your wife was on and was talking about her research and her experience with vultures. And I love that podcast. And I think, and I highly recommend it to other folks. And again, I've included a link to the Off Trail podcast in my blog post. But um, vultures are really a misunderstood and sometimes a maligned species. And they're a really important part of our ecosystem. And I thought it was a terrific podcast. And and provided great research and great information on the value of vultures. And now, yes, on to osprey. I'm with you, Martin, on the beauty and the um, the sort of skill of those birds. They are incredible hunters. They are beautiful. And from a photographer's standpoint, they are actually one of the easiest raptors to photograph, just because certainly in my area and some of the places I travel to, they are um, they're plentiful and they use nesting platforms that are provided and they let us witness 
feeding young and raising raising young. So it's really something to very exciting to see. And I love um, I love when we have osprey season around here. Thank you, Martin. Well, thank you for having me, Carolyn. Um, I've really enjoyed your questions. Definitely gave me an opportunity to think about um, my experiences here. Now, I've only been here three and a half years, but I- I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully we can go birding together one day. Well, I'm really glad that our paths cross. And I will definitely be back in the area, uh, your area, for some great birding and photography. You know, there are many important and beautiful natural places in Erie County, and I thank you for being a part of supporting them and sharing the good news of those resources with others. So I have several links on on my blog providing resources and information on the topics discussed today. You can find Martin on Facebook, Instagram, iNaturalist, eBird, and LinkedIn. And again, I I have links to some of those things on my blog post. You can also find Erie Metro Parks on the web and social media. Again, I have some links on my blog post. Um, Remember to stop by my website, www.copperrangellc.com, to view my images, read the free blog, and download free podcasts like this one, and see where you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening today. Have a great day. Mm